Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midland's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the governance will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thanks, Vanessa. Welcome, everybody. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here at Soul Revival Church, and it's my very great privilege to be able to share something from God's Word now. I'll just put this over here. Well, I'll start off with, um, I want to remind you of a, probably a sad fact, it's pretty obvious, and that is that it doesn't matter who you are, wherever you are, we all face some kind of conflict, don't we? And we're constantly reminded every day of there's, there's conflict somewhere, there's a war somewhere. Um, we're always facing some kind of problem with finances. We're being told constantly now we're in a, a crisis of affordability. Uh, and if it's not that, then maybe we're struggling with some type of health issue. And of course, then we can always get stressed with turmoils in our relationships. Even in our closest relationships, we can have struggles. Well, it's a bit of a sad reality, isn't it? It doesn't matter who we are, we can find ourselves feeling a long way from experiencing peace on earth. And yet, Christmas time, we hear that an awful lot, don't we? On the cards and what we sing and that sort of thing, it's all about peace on earth. At this time, you start hearing for louder calls for peace. Even in the face of what can be the most extreme conflict, a classic example uh, was way back in 1914. It was Christmas time, uh, and we're only a couple of months into World War I when some English and general, uh, German generals actually called for a ceasefire along the Western Front, and British and German soldiers met in no man's land to exchange gifts. I've got a photo of this here on the screen. They took photographs of one another, uh, and they even played games of soccer with each other, just for a few hours, an international peace, deep uh, in the time of war and conflict, but this peace inspired by Christmas. Well, that's maybe international peace. What about interpersonal peace? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, Christmas time is a time where lots of people are trying to make an extra buck. And the entertainment industry is certainly one of those industries that makes us money at this time of the year. 
And so we get a constant stream of Christmas specials and movies. Um, not many of them are very good. They're usually squeezed out, aren't they? Most of them are actually quite atrocious. Um, but they, of course, often have a moral to the story. And what the moral is, well, let's get together. Let's stop fighting. Let's see if we can find some kind of peace and reconciliation. We see it summed up uh, in, in John Lennon's famous Christmas tune, which was called Happy Christmas, very imaginative. Um, got a picture of that on the screen. Thanks, John. Um, you might remember this song, some of the words. And so this is Christmas for weak and for strong, for rich and poor ones. The road is so long. And so, happy Christmas for black and for white, for yellow and red ones. Let's stop all the fight. And echoing behind that song, that chorus and, and verse, all the way through the song is this repeated line going on there the whole time by a choir singing, the war is over if you want it. And you think that's really the common vibe. I mean, if you walked out amongst the hundreds of people across the street last night and asked them, well, what, what's this all about? I, 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 my mind never ceases to stop boggling at that sort of interest in carols with such a secular society that we live in when they're so disinterested about God most of the time. And yet hundreds and hundreds of people turn up quite merrily to sing songs about Jesus. I guess if you ask people what it's about, you'll get the same sort of idea. That is, this is a, a time of a festival, a season that calls for the end of conflict. It's a time for us to come together, even to come together broadly as a community. So why all the fuss about peace at Christmas? Well, it's because we just read it. We just read it. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But did the arrival of Jesus on that first Christmas mean an end to every and any kind of conflict? Well, before we look into that question, why don't we spend a bit of time praying now that God would help us understand his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your word, for the great confidence we can have when we read of great promises written and declared and prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus' arrival. And so now for us that live hundreds of years after Jesus' time on earth, we pray you would help us to understand your word and be ready for his second coming. And it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen. So, why all the fuss about peace at Christmas? Well, traditionally, it's a response to the promise that looks forward to Jesus. And we just read it. I've got it here again on screen, the key verse, Christmas verse from Isaiah chapter 9. For, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and a government will be on his shoulders. And what will he be called? He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then on that first Christmas night, the angels came to the shepherds and they said this to them, look here on the screen from Luke chapter 2, Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. What do they mean by that? What do they mean by that on earth peace? Well, let's begin by thinking about what they weren't saying, what they didn't mean. Well, first of all, I think it's, it's not really a call for peace between nations. 
The angels did not mean political or international peace, then or now. Because if they meant world peace, well, Jesus has been an abject failure. There's always been wars. And they only seem to be becoming more and more commonplace. And the reality of our present conflict can make us cynical. Cynical when we get those cards in the mail with a dove saying, peace on earth. And we can think, well, long way from that. But actually, Jesus himself was quite clear that he did not come to bring national peace. Listen to some of his words from chapter 21 of Luke's Gospel. As Jesus looked ahead into the future, he said this, When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we look around us today and what do we see? Well, that reality is totally consistent with what Jesus predicted. So what he's saying is that Jesus' task in coming to earth is actually not to bring about political or international peace. Well, if that's the case, well then what about something close at home? What about interpersonal peace, our peace with each other? Now, I don't know how you picture Jesus. Um, you often see him in the movies, pictured as something like a, a bit like a, a, a guru, a bit of a long-haired hippie, sort of wandering along, lots of wise words to say, um, with his followers towing along. And it seems that if Christians are doing things right, well then, like that lovely picture, they'll get along with everybody. They will love everybody and everybody will love them. Is this the peace that Jesus brings? Well, actually listen to the, again, Jesus' words, again from Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, here on the screen. Do you think I come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. It's a shocking word, isn't it? Sort of shatters that picture of Jesus as the smiling guru. Jesus says he's come to bring division. And anyone who actually follows him may experience conflict, even in the most basic of human relationships, the family. People will be mad at Christians because of Jesus. Well, what's that about? It's Jesus just being a stirrer. So what are the, the angels talking about? If it's not peace between people, then what on earth are they talking about? Well, the clues, if we stay in Luke's Gospel and go right back to the first chapter of, um, of Luke's Gospel, we hear Jesus' uncle, Zechariah, singing a song about his new baby son, John, who will be John the Baptist. And this song is about how John, how he'll prepare the way for Jesus. Now listen carefully to how he'll do it. I've got it here on screen for you, Luke chapter 1. And you, my child, talking about John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. How? Through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the path of peace. You can see here, peace is coming through the forgiveness of sins. The peace the angels speak of is not a political peace or even an interpersonal peace. It's a peace that Jesus brings to us, between us and God. For you see, we've all fallen out of favour with God. We are, in short, at war with him. And there's a need for forgiveness, a need for, for reconciliation. And in the coming of Jesus, God makes peace with people who are at war with him. We sing it in the famous carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where we sing, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. God offers forgiveness in order to establish a peace between us and him. Now you might be thinking, that sounds a little extreme. I don't know how I haven't really fallen out with God. I mean, we haven't spoken in a while, but there's no hard feelings between us and him. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm quite neutral with God. He rarely crosses my radar, but I'm not mad at him. I won't bother him if he don't bother me. Well, it begs the question, which God are you being indifferent about? Is it the God of the Bible? Or is it a God of your own imagining? Now, as the weeks leading up to Christmas, we at church like to say, well, we want to look beyond the manger, not just staying stuck in that stable at Bethlehem. We want to say, look beyond that and see who Jesus really is. The angels did not say, today is born to you in the town of David, a very special baby. They said, he's the king, the Lord. Isaiah describes him as mighty God. So what we've been called here is to lift our eyes from the nativity scene and gaze upon the Messiah, the mighty God of all. And then at the end of the Bible, we see a very different picture of Jesus. We see him as he comes for the second time, his second advent. This is what he looks like from Revelation chapter 1, here on the screen. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You don't want to be an enemy of this Jesus. You cannot ignore the Jesus described in Revelation. He is your creator, your sustainer, your your ruler. You can have a Jesus you can ignore, but it won't be the Jesus of the Bible. Now, if we're willing to listen to the true God, we'll start to understand Uh, the bleak position we're in. You see, when the light of God shines into the dark corners of our lives, our failings will be exposed. They're not hidden from him. You know, all the ways that we 
willingly disobey God. We purposely ignore him. The ways in which we fall short of God's standard, even when we try to do the things the right way, we still fall short. This is our sin, laid bare before the mighty God. And if we're honest with ourselves, well, we'll admit that we are an enemy of God. And this picks up the very personal nature of sin. Because what we're doing is rejecting a relationship. Because that's what God wants. God made us to be in a personal relationship with him. And in our sin, well, we turn away from that. We reject him. Now, the amazing thing is this. That in spite of all the hurt that we have generated in the heart of God, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, willingly, lovingly, deliberately climbs onto the cross and dies in our place to take the punishment that we deserve. When? While we were still enemies of God. Here's a love, friend, that breaks all the rules. You see, when you were at your worst, God gave us his best. The lovely phrase a friend of mine used to say all the time. While we're at our worst, God gave us his best. This rule-breaking love is actually impossible to illustrate because the world just doesn't operate like this. It's the point that Paul makes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. Got a bit on the screen. Thanks, John. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may lay down your life for a family member, but what you don't do is die for an enemy. You know all those war films? We were thinking about war earlier. There's lots of films being made about war. And you'll find a lot of heroism in those wars. Soldiers laying down their lives for others. But you won't find an allied soldier taking a bullet for a Nazi. The world just doesn't work like that. But the pattern gets broken at the cross in a way that you will not find anywhere else in human history. And just think about it for a moment. I mean, what's one of the worst things you can have in life? Wouldn't it be an enemy? And what's the most valuable thing you have in life? Wouldn't it be your, your very life? The two don't go together, except at one point in history, at the cross, when Jesus laid down his life for you, and for me, while we were enemies. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. It's the ultimate definition of love. Friends, God doesn't want to be your enemy. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come to bring reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and us. 
So God comes to us now with a peace treaty in his hands. And he's done everything necessary to fulfil that terms of the treaty. The treaty is signed. Signed with the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you to make you God's friend. Think of that echo in that song again. The war is over if you want it. The war is over if you want it. Well, I guess there's three options before us, isn't there? When you're faced with a peace treaty. Option one is you can take the peace treaty, tear it up and walk away. Stay at war. Well, why? Why would you want to do that? Why would I choose to reject such extraordinary love? What is worth more to me than being at peace with God? God wants the war to be over. Why don't you? Well, that's option one. Option two is you can recognise, well, yeah, I'm at war with God, but I'm not ready to surrender just yet. You may need time to look at the terms and conditions of the treaty. If you're interested in finding out more about that in God's offer of forgiveness, well, then keep coming to church especially next week when you'll hear about God's greatest gift to us. Talk to your Christian friends. Come and talk to me. I'm happy to talk about the peace treaty that God's offered to you. Then, of course, there's option three. The best option. You might be ready to recognise that you have been at war with God and now you're ready. You're ready to surrender to him. You might be ready to recognise that there is a peace to be had between you and God. And you want to change. You want to turn from being an enemy to becoming a friend. From being at war to now being at peace. And being at peace with God. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for your love and mercy to us because we have indeed been your enemies. We do pray you would help us to change, to recognise our desperate need before you and to walk closely with you through the forgiveness that's found through your Son, the Prince of Peace. Amen.